I'm excited we're going to continue in this series asking some of these tough questions. And if you're joining us today, uh, which you are if you're here, uh, we're, we're, I'm excited you're going to get a chance to, to discuss this question with us we're going to look at in just a few moments. But before we get into that, I do have one more announcement. Um, next week, our, our clocks fall back. Next week is our time change. Can you believe we're already there? Uh, you're going to be getting here if you come to the 1030 service at what feels like 930 next week. And um, I'm telling you that because we're making a change with our 9 o'clock outdoor service this winter. Uh, rather than trying to meet in the 30 degree, sometimes high 20 degree cold uh, in a barn with a leaking roof and with heaters around us, uh, we're going to move that 9 a.m. service indoors into this room uh, on Sunday mornings in the winter. And then we're going to move it back outdoors to the Grove uh, at the next time change when we hit spring again, when we spring forward. Uh, what that means is that if you're somebody who likes going to the Grove and you just happen to be at the 1030 today, uh, we're going to be doing that in this room in a way that we kind of try to make this feel like that Grove service. And, and we won't be doing the full band that you have here at the 1030 service. There won't be kids ministry that we have at the 1030 service. Uh, there will not be the creative elements we have at the 1030 service. If you like the 1030, you're probably going, why are you, you're casting a terrible vision, Chris as you explain all the things it won't have. But what it will have is kind of our intimate acoustic feel that the Grove has. And as much as we possibly can, we're going to try to kind of bring the outdoors in and, and, and some of what makes that service so special. So uh, if you could help us get the word out that 9 o'clock will now be in here until the next time change, uh, that would be incredibly helpful for us. All right. Well, when it comes to, to the lies and the truth that we believe, um, I bet that most of us could place ourselves somewhere on a continuum from gullible on the one hand to skeptical on the other hand. Gullible would be those of you who, who would say that you tend to fall for things, you're pretty quick to believe things people tell you. Skeptical, you want lots of evidence and you're going to ask lots of questions before you believe something. All right, turn to a person next to you, tell them where you think you would put yourself on that continuum. Would you do that for 10 seconds or so? All right. Well, this whole notion, this whole notion of gullible or skeptical, uh, believing or not believing, it made us think of Jimmy Fallon's game, Box of Lies. Uh, has anybody here seen Jimmy Fallon's Box of Lies on his show, his celebrity guest? Um, we thought it might be fun for us to play this game this morning. Are you ready for a game of Box of Lies with us? Now, here, here is how this is going to work. I've got three boxes up here. Uh, our creative arts team has put an object in each one of these boxes. I don't know what's in these boxes. Uh, I'm going to let you pick the number, and then I'm going to look for you at the object. I'm going to describe it to you, but here's the catch. You're not going to know if I'm telling the truth or if I'm lying. By the way, normally I make it a practice to tell the truth. I just want you to... <laughs> but for right now, I'm going to leave you guessing with that. All right? You ready to play? Um, let's do this. What box would you like me to try to choose this morning and describe what's in it? Let's, okay, it's three. What is it? One, two, three. Is that what I've got here in front of me? All right. We're going to do number three. And again, I have no idea. In fact, they told me to do this so that you couldn't see what I see when I open this box. And I'm going to describe this to you. And uh, again, you're going to decide if I'm making this up. <laughs> what the heck? Uh, okay. What I, am, what I am looking at, 
I'm looking at a, 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 a pomegranate with uh, a ladybug crawling on it, a, a dragonfly, and a candle, a lit candle sticking out of it. Uh, am I telling you that? How many of you think that I'm telling the truth right now? Out of, show of hands. How many of you think I'm telling the truth? Wow. And how many of you think that I am lying right now? This is what our creative arts team has made. A pomegranate. Wow, you must really think I'm deceitful. That I could possibly make that up. Okay, well, that's the... I'm so curious what kind of crazy stuff they would put. Can I try these just for fun? I've been wondering all morning what they came up with, and they put work into this, so we should, we should look, right? Box number two. Box, box, box number... I'm not going to play the game. I just want to see what's in these. What is this even? This is, this is a, a three-wood, a four-wood with, what, a bottle opener sticking out of it? Impressive. And number one. Oh my goodness. Tickle me Elmo. Does it work? It, it does work. Wearing Beats headphones. Can I keep the Beats? And uh, cash? This can't be real cash, right? $5,000 in fake cash and a noisemaker. So, well, if I had gotten this, would you have believed me if I even described this to you? Absolutely not, right? All right. Well, as we do that this morning, you know, part of what I want you to be thinking about is whether you find yourself a gullible person or a skeptical person. We're continuing in this idea of a series called Explore God and joining hundreds of churches, hundreds of churches around the Bay Area who are doing some of these same questions about life and faith. Uh, I'll tell you, there's some truths that we hope to discover in the series, uh, some that we hope to uncover in this series, but our real desire behind all of this is to get all of us asking these questions together. And today's question is a big one. Is Jesus really God? Now, here's something really interesting to me. Research shows that most people believe in the historical Jesus. Um, when I say that, uh, most people believe Jesus was a real person in the first century. Um, anyone want to take a guess as to what percentage of people would say they believe Jesus is a historical figure? Uh, let's try this. Who here would say 60% or more of people believe Jesus is a historical figure? Show of hands, okay. Um, how many of you would say 75% or more believe Jesus? Okay, still a good amount. All right, well, anybody say more than 90% of people believe Jesus is a historical figure? Okay, less hands for that one. According to the Barna Research Group, 92% of Americans say they believe in a historical Jesus, 92%. And there's a real good reason for that. There's an overwhelming amount of historical evidence for Jesus. No serious historian disputes that Jesus existed. That said, while the overwhelming majority of people believe a man named Jesus lived in the first century, all right, the idea of Jesus being God is a different story altogether. It can be a huge leap to jump from believing that a man named Jesus walked the earth centuries ago to believing that same person was God come to earth. And I want to I wanna talk about that with you today. Let's start where we have some common ground, the historical Jesus, all right? I think maybe the best place to begin exploring whether Jesus is really God is with taking a look at what the historical Jesus had to say about himself. How do you think Jesus might have finished this statement during his time on the earth? I am blank. I am what? So you know, Jesus was not silent on the subject of himself. 
One example of this is found in the writings of his friend and his follower, John. John writes about Jesus walking into the temple courts one time. And he is surrounded by religious leaders. They're poking at him with loaded questions. And at one point, they ask him, take a look at this, how long are you going to keep us in suspense if you are the Messiah, the one sent from God to save his people? Tell us plainly. So Jesus is walking through the temple courts. His friendly walk, let's just say it gets a little bit hostile, right? He's surrounded by leaders that are questioning him. Their intent, by the way, is to trick him into saying something that everyone would hear and deem as crazy or blasphemous, like to say that he is God. Jesus' walk turned into like a dip in a pool of piranhas. So Jesus responds, I did tell you, but you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you don't believe because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Did you catch that? Especially what Jesus says at the very end there. I and the Father are one. This is the first time we hear Jesus claiming that he and the Father are one. And this right here, this is one reason that I believe and many other people believe Jesus is really God. He said so. Now, let me tell you, there are some who would say, well, maybe Jesus didn't mean that they're one like they're the same, like he is God. Maybe he meant they're one like they're united, like they're close, like Andrea and I are one. Maybe he was saying one in a hyperbolic sort of way. No, because look at what happens in the next verse. Again, his his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of those good works do you stone me? We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. This is a bombshell. This is not just Jesus saying we're one, God and I are united. As soon as Jesus says these words, his adversaries pick up stones to kill him. They knew what he meant. You are now saying you are God, and this is blasphemy. Jesus, this is an affront to everything that we believe to be true. By claiming to be one with the Father, they knew that Jesus was saying, I am God. And when Jesus says, I and the Father are one, he's not only talking about who he is, he is speaking, he is speaking about what he does. His mission and his purpose is to perfectly be in one, uh, be one with the Father. Like like the Father, he protects the sheep, his followers. Um, I want you to look at this line again, a line he says right before that, I and the Father are one. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. He gives them eternal life. Okay, people who are not God don't get to give eternal life, right? Um, Can you imagine, it would be like me going to the doctor for a checkup and hearing him say, hey Chris, I have got great news. Your diet and exercise is working perfectly. As a matter of fact, Chris, you're gonna live forever. Good news, you get eternal life. Human beings don't have that authority, right? But Jesus clearly thinks of himself as more than human. 
He has the audacity to say that he gives eternal life. Clearly by his own words, Jesus thinks he's qualified to do that. Now, Jesus goes on in this conversation to make it clear that he's not only got this authority and the mission of God, but he says that he is sent by God. Think about that. If he was sent by God, then that means before he arrived, he was somewhere else. There wasn't some moment where Jesus, the son, needed to be invented and brought into existence as if, as if God 1.0 decided he needed a new and improved version. No, Jesus is God forever, just like the Father. By the way, this is what the apostle John meant when he, when he said, in the beginning was the word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Jesus being referred to as the word always was in the beginning. I know that believing a person who walked this planet, just like you and me, is fully God, is no small pill. I get it, and Jesus knew that. He knew that it would be hard for people to look at him, a person, and accept his claim, I am God. And so what does Jesus do? He comes with evidence. He challenged people to consider what they saw with their very own eyes, his miracles and, and, and these wonders. And let's, let's be honest, as we read the gospels, there were plenty of them. He healed the sick and he gave sight to the blind and he made the lame walk, but there is one miracle that far outweighs them all. Think about it this way. There are few things more amazing than calling your own shot. Right, predicting what's gonna happen before it actually happens. Um, in sports history, nobody is bigger than baseball's Babe Ruth, right? One of the stories that makes Babe Ruth larger than life is he is believed to have called his own shot in the 1932 World Series against the Cubs. That's Wrigley Field right there. He pointed to the right field wall and he sent the very next pitch 500 feet to that very spot. He called it. And then it happened. It was, it, was, it was like he said, I am the babe and I will hit the next pitch over the fence. And Jesus backed up his claims of I am with a massive I will. And it is that I will that sets him apart from every other person and every other belief system in the history of the world. In John 2, there is this moment where Jesus drives a bunch of people out of the temple because they're using it as a place to make money for themselves. It's quite a scene, and, 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 and the people demand that Jesus tell them what gives him the authority to do this. And then he answers them with these words, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And they replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. You're gonna raise it in three days? And then John adds this clarifying comment, but the temple he spoke of was his body. The temple had already taken 46 years to build. It wasn't even complete. And here Jesus says he can rebuild it in three days, but John adds a little note to make sure that we know what Jesus was really talking about. He says, but the temple he spoke of was his body. Now stay with me here. In the very next verse, John says this, after he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said, 
And then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. John points out that when Jesus came back from the dead, his disciples remembered this day, this conversation about the temple being destroyed and raised up in three days, and they finally understood that way back then, Jesus was pointing to his resurrection. He was saying, I am God, and he was calling his shot. I will rise. Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection And then he pulled it off, you guys. He called his own shot. He said, I will, and he did. Now, the evidence supporting Jesus' resurrection is staggering. Four historical accounts of the resurrection are all written by eyewitnesses. Matthew, a tax collector, an eyewitness, believed Jesus rose from the dead. Mark got his information from Peter, who was an eyewitness, and he believed. Luke, a doctor and historian, thoroughly researched this account and believed. John was an eyewitness, and he believed. In in the first letter to to the Christ followers in Corinth, Paul describes a time where Jesus appeared to over 500 people following his resurrection. Jesus' followers went from hiding in terror to risking their lives as they boldly proclaimed that he was alive. How else do we explain this other than Jesus actually coming back to life? Yes, he said, I am and I will, and he did. This new movement exploded after the resurrection. The number of Jesus followers grew from just a handful of people to six million people, 10% 10 of the world's population by the year 300. And the core message was Jesus risen from the dead. Not just Jesus a good teacher, Jesus a good man, but Jesus the risen savior, the one who said I am and I will, and he did. The philosopher, theologian, and priest Thomas Aquinas put it this way. Take a look at this. If the incarnation did not really happen, then an even more unbelievable miracle happened. The conversion of the world by the biggest lie in history. And the moral transformation of lives into unselfishness, unselfishness, detachment from worldly pleasures, and radically new heights of holiness. By what? By what? By a mere myth. Think about that. What is easier to believe? 10% of the world seeing their lives transformed by, out of darkness or 10% believing the biggest lie of all time? Can I, can I suggest something? I think we find evidence for the resurrection in every one of us, even today. Doesn't it feel like there is something in each of us that resists endings and death? We long for life. Now I'll tell you, we're realistic. We know there are two things we can always count on, right? Death and taxes, right? And the truth is, we resist them. We resist both of them, death and taxes. Um, think of the last episode of a TV show that you loved, all right? It, it, it might have been Lost. Uh, it might have been Cheers. Some of you remember Cheers. Uh, it might have been MASH. Uh, if I'm going way back, uh, some of you are looking at me like, I've never heard of MASH. What is MASH? Some of you are looking at me like I've never heard of Lost. That shows you how old I've gotten. Uh, Just think of a show that you loved that ended, or maybe even this. Think of a show you loved, and you watched it religiously, and then it got canceled, and you never knew how their stories ended. When a show ends that you've been watching for years, doesn't it actually feel like you're losing something? I I know there's reruns in Netflix, but still. I I I don't think endings feel natural to us. 
We've all lost loved ones where there was more we wanted to say or more we wanted to do. One more I love you or one more just reaching out and grabbing that person's hand. We long for it. And so we cling to this hope that there is something more out there, right? The the idea of life ending and, and the lights going out with nothing else, it just doesn't feel right. I think at our core, we know that we were not made for goodbyes or final endings. Scripture says this, says he, God, has planted eternity in the human heart. What that means is we long to live, and not for a little while, we long to live forever. And the only person who can truly answer that longing is Jesus, the one who said, I am, and I will, and then he did. The question this morning we've been trying to answer, is Jesus really God? But I'll tell you, there's another question this morning that I'll pose to you. What will you decide to do about Jesus? C.S. Lewis was one of the most brilliant minds of the 20th century. He's the guy that wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. And at first he did not believe in God. He said he couldn't believe in God. And so he set out to prove that there was no God. But the more that he studied this historical Jesus, he realized he only had three choices. Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. In his classic work, Mere Christianity, Lewis wrote this. Take a look. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. He goes on, now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. Here at Crosswinds, for over 30 years, we've seen thousands of people on a search. For some, like C.S. Lewis, it's an intellectual search. For others, they begin their search because their kids start asking them questions about God. Maybe that's been you. Others begin their journey because life was just getting the best of them. But all of us at some point have to decide what we believe about Jesus. In, In the book of Matthew, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? When Jesus walked this earth, he asked his closest friends what they believed about him. And Peter, whose life was full of ups and downs, uh, tons of failure, responded, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Yes, I believe you are who you say you are. You're the one who says I am and I will. So what about you? What about you? Jesus doesn't expect us to check our brains at the door, stop asking questions, never doubt, He simply asks that we come and we follow him. Even in our doubts, we can follow him. So I'll ask you today, will you choose to follow him, the one who said, I am, and I will, and then he did. In a minute, I'm gonna pray, and while I pray, the band is gonna come up and get ready to lead us in one more song before we go, but before they do, I, I, I just wanna ask you the same question that Jesus asked of Peter. 
He asks, who do you say that I am? And if you would say that Jesus is God, he is the God who would give himself for you and go to the cross, I want to give you a chance to pray with me and tell him that. And I know, because this is Crosswinds, and we have a lot of people who come here, don't, have never been to church in their lives. I know there are some of you, this might be the first time you tell him that, that you believe he is God. The first time. And if you're ready to give him leadership of your life and ask him to, to take what happened on the cross and apply that to you, I just, I want to ask you to bow your heads with me right now. In fact, will we all bow our heads right now? We're going to pray and if you want to make that decision right now to follow Jesus, I want to ask you to pray with me. And you don't have to pray out loud, just in your own heart and in your head. Make my words your own, all right? Let's pray. God, today I want to utter these words that I may never have said before. Jesus is my Lord. I believe that Jesus came to earth to be with people like me, sinners like me. That he went to the cross to die for someone like me. And he rose again so that someday I could have life. And right now, I wanna ask for your forgiveness of sins to be applied to me for your grace Today, I say I want to make you Savior and Lord of my life. God, thank you for saving me and loving me. Amen. If you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to tell you something. Jesus said, I am. And because of him, you are. You are his child, part of his forever family. I'll tell you what else. Jesus said, I will. And because he did come back to life, you will, you will live with him forever. And if you, if you prayed that prayer with me, we want to know, we'll help you know what it is to live into this reality that Jesus is God and Lord of your life. And, and the way that you can let us know in the seat back in front of you, are cards with QR codes, and one of them says, I have decided. And you can scan that with your phone, and, and it'll take you to a site where you can get info about some next steps. I know in the far, far back, we don't have those cards, but if you go to the section right in front of you on your way out, you can grab one and scan it there, all right? Okay, we didn't want to close today without responding to God, who would come to earth, walk among us, and go to the cross. So Derek is going to lead us in one more song with Kelly. Would you stand and join?